Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Freep beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, first off, congratulations. You guys don't have to work on Saturday. How exciting is that? Uh, I wouldn't say don't have to work, but we don't have to cover a game. <laughs> well, more importantly, we don't have to make a trip into a hot zone. That's, uh, that's the real congratulations um because i know that uh in talking to some folks the the dmv area over around college park is uh it's got a higher transmission rate right now than michigan so as you're seeing with the the what i think it's probably right around 30 cases or so within the football program at maryland which i don't know why it took them this long to call it but if there were that many um it wasn't like the numbers were going to go down Obviously, Wednesday with Mike Loxley getting testing positive, that probably was the one where it was just like, well, maybe we need to rethink. You see the stories coming on now and the numbers. You're like, why was this a Thursday decision? Like, I don't, I don't really uh, – I mean, this seems like the, this could have been done a day ago at least. Yeah, I, I found that definitely the most surprising part of it all. And we'll talk – we'll get – uh, more on, on that here in a second. For those who maybe missed this news, uh, the Michigan State-Maryland game for football game for Saturday has been postponed due to a COVID-19 outbreak amongst the Maryland football team. And then after that, we will switch to basketball. Uh, Michigan State's n- non-league and Big Ten schedule were released on the same day, uh, hours, maybe minutes apart. Uh, that was a, a bit weird, but we'll talk about that and some of the games that really kind of stand out. Uh, we will do also do a little basketball hoop season preview discussion. And then we also talk about Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. They were both selected in the NBA draft on Wednesday night. And then a perhaps a discussion on Lombardi and Peyton Thorne as well, as it looks like we still will have another a QB controversy in East Lansing for the time being. Well, let's go back to the Michigan State-Maryland game. Uh, like you guys said, the Michigan, Maryland, excuse me, Maryland did not practice on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So that's the writing was on the wall well before Thursday morning's announcement that the football game would be postponed. And I think it later came out that 23 players at this point have tested positive for COVID-19. So wait, that was, that looks just like a mess over, over in Maryland. Uh, yeah. 23 players, uh, the past two weeks, seven staff members, uh, including Mike Loxley. Uh, this, this was seemed like it was a no brainer for a few days. Then like Graham said, I don't understand why this wasn't a Tuesday decision. Um, when they decided not to have Mike Loxley's weekly press conference. But um, but this is the reality. I mean, this is the first test that Michigan State's had to face the reality of 2020 college football. I shouldn't say the first test because they had their own shutdown back in June or back in July and August. So, you know, but in the middle of this restarted season that's, you know, it, it's had its ups, it's had its downs, um, and, it, and it continues to trend nationally. Uh, in the wrong direction for a finish. It's probably comes at a good time for Michigan State, uh, just simply because, I mean, you lost your last two games 73-7. to Confidence is waning, and and really what's shown the last couple weeks is that they got to work on some fundamentals, and you can't do that without practice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I've heard from some fans that the idea that, you know, this is a winnable game, and and I – Against Maryland, you're playing a team where you wouldn't necessarily lose at the line of scrimmage as badly as they have. So, and when MSU loses at the line of scrimmage right now in the trenches, everything else seems to go haywire from there, which happens to a lot of football teams. But you really have to have special players to overcome that. It, 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 and, you know, maybe this would have been more competitive. Maybe they would have had a chance. But they're also a team that, as Chris said, is just reeling. And to have a bye week in the middle of this, um, I don't think is the worst thing. And, I, and frankly, the reaction I've got from people is I don't think most fans mind 
not watching him shoot football this weekend after yeah. the last two. And frankly, it, it's a great uh, weekend otherwise. I mean, the, the fact that the, the two games that will decide the divisions likely are on the same day, it's, and you don't have the emotion of throwing your shoe through the TV, and you get to watch um, – you know, Northwestern Wisconsin and Indiana, Ohio State, and see what those games are. A lot of lot of assumptions, though, right there that that there's going to be these games. I mean, that's true. You know, we've seen we've seen obviously the state of Michigan has their their recent Department of Health orders that are eliminating fans from the stands, um, but allowing competition. We don't know. Um, Illinois has kind of bandied about some travel bans and things of that nature, which, you know, would be interesting to see how that may or may not affect Northwestern. Pennsylvania's got uh, a process for people who haven't tested, uh, haven't had a test within seven, 72 hours. And, you know, that, that obviously will, won't necessarily affect the regular season finale against Penn state um, since the, these athletes are tested daily. However, that's now. We don't know with with case numbers rising, with with other states uh, making harder and harsher decisions, uh, just what might be the next step. So, I mean, I know for a fact though that Michigan State would not and does not want that Indiana game to be the last product. Um, you know that that the schedule is not easy. Now you eliminate the Maryland game. You got Northwestern, which is four and zero right now, and you've got Ohio State, which is four and zero right now, and. You got Penn State, which is not four. Now. There's three games left, plus one, the plus the plus one. Um, again, assuming we get to that point. So I don't know. I, I it's we're we're at the point now. I think Graham that when they restarted this in in September and announced that they were going to come back, we knew that this could be possible. That that things could happen where games are going to start getting canceled, and you know there could we could. I don't know if we're there yet. Um, but we could be in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Big Ten bails on all the plus-one games, you know, other than the championship right. game. I, I just wouldn't be given the trajectory of thing. I mean, Iowa's got, like, what, 50% or whatever their positivity rate in that state is. It's, it's just obscene. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, and I think what, what's more interesting in terms, of the, in terms of this is Wisconsin is one more canceled game away from not being eligible for the Big Ten championship. Right. Uh, most likely. So that would... Northwestern may not even need to win that game. That, that, that stuff's going to get really interesting. And sort of philosophically, if, if they don't have a single loss and, and you know, but they didn't play enough to be uh, to be eligible, um, I, you know, that that's going to be interesting. If I were um, if I were Indiana, and this is just a snarky, not realistic take, I would have been inclined to uh, find a way to this week's game against Ohio State been canceled. <laughs> snarky but not realistic take would be a wonderful. Uh, post-game review by you yes <laughs> things i should keep to myself we could call it yeah so yeah no I, it it's it's a it's a weird time and 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 to be honest i know maryland's a beatable opponent but if michigan state was going to have this happen to them i don't think there was a, a could be a better time because a it's not them within their own program b it's four games in it's dead set in the middle of the season and they're coming off getting destroyed two straight weeks the only thing I don't disagree, I don't agree with you necessarily on is I, if this two weeks ago I, I you know before the the stoppage for Maryland I don't think Michigan State would have wanted to play them I don't think you wanted any parts of of what Maryland was becoming uh, at that point but you know when you started talking about a week off you take a week off two weeks off and of course I say that and then you know we saw what Wisconsin did to Michigan so <laughs> that n- nothing makes sense uh, you know in a logical world right now uh not even your bizarrely snarky takes so you guys have kind of alluded to this a little bit in discussion but i mean what are the chances that you think what if you could put a percentage on it what chances do you think we'll actually see more games canceled or maybe even the crossover week wiped out minus the big 10 championship game well i mean i think 100 percent we'll see more games canceled yeah 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 there's 15 this week in college football so i mean there's just i mean the idea that there wouldn't be another one in the big 10 in terms of MSU, it's hard to say because, you know, there are three games left and it's between those two programs. And the, 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 the final games, again, I don't know all the TV deal, revenue, partnership, what makes sense to do. But you're talking about and, and, and are you going to try and play those on neutral sites where both teams have to travel instead of one? Or are you going to try and do December 19th on home sites when it's freezing? You know, like, I, I don't know all the particulars. 
I just know we haven't seen any details on those games, which is a little telling too. I think I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's not a, a huge call to see Michigan State play Illinois. <laughs> hey, they're coming. They're coming off a big win over Rutgers. We're, we're we're also. I mean, we've also started, to, and we saw it with the basketball schedule release with games on Christmas Day. We're starting to see this erosion of of a winter break concept, and you know, from from a standpoint of what these kids are dealing with mentally already. Um, with with the world around them, plus their their daily testing regimens, plus everything else that's going on, plus their classwork and class load. I, I don't I don't know when they get a mental break here, you know. And this is being done for TV revenue. I mean, the fact that they've got Christmas Day games and basketball, but none on New Year's Day tells you everything you need to know, um, because New Year's Day is sacrosanct for college football. But you know, the the fact is, TV networks are making a lot of these determinations, and it, it's it should scare college administrators first of all. But secondly, you don't have these bowl games. Yeah, I mean that's a way to, for them to fill programming spots right now. And so I mean I don't necessarily think it would be one of those things where you might not see. I mean they'll they'll try for everything they can to fill their programming spots. If it, yeah, if there's revenue coming in, if it you know if it's if it's jobs, if it's ability to fund an entire program. Because you play that extra football game, you know, and I'm talking about a, a field hockey program or whatever it is for the year, they'll do it. And and the the, the Christmas Day thing, I don't I don't mind it. I don't like it most years. I think it's awful most years. And if it became a thing, there would be real repercussions because players need to get home. I, I've had coaches tell me, you know, the worst thing you can do ever is play in the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii or any of those Christmas tournaments where players don't get away from each other for five days in the middle of the year. Those teams in February wind up being sick of each other. And I remember even a couple of years when they only had like a couple of days to get home and they came back on the 27th for a big 10 game against Minnesota. Like Izzo was not happy having to bring him back Christmas night. And, um, but this year they can't go home. You can't have 13 guys going to 13 different communities and people like our fans can't travel as much. Can't see as much family. Can't go to the movies in the afternoon. Like, but who are you doing it for then? I mean, you're you're supposed to be doing this for the student athletes. That's the that's the guise under which amateurism is operating. Well, that's right? yeah, that's, that's, that's a different so discussion, that's, no doubt. But no, it's the same discussion, wholly based on revenue, and well, that, that revenue that is coming into the athletic department is based on it. I could I could make an argument right now of of how and why this is in total violation of Title IX, and I bet you there's probably some lawyers out there that could make that case as well. So the fact that you that you are giving men's athletes daily tests um putting these products out there um but not giving the women the opportunity under the guise again of of what the amateur athletes and college athletics is and the ncaa's own definition and the federal government's own definition there's a lot of things that you can look at this and say hold on a second what are we doing here totally and nobody nobody's doing that well yeah and, and maybe somebody is in the background right there so when i say it's a different discussion i just mean Long term, you're, you're you're right. Like the bigger picture and what this is, I mean, because there are there are fair arguments now where, where we are getting pressed on the idea. Well, let's let's not. This has nothing. You could you make an argument. This has nothing to do with men and women. This is about if you can support yourself or not. Um, and and in the sports that can support themselves or come close to it can play, and those that can't can't. Um, although you know, women's basketball is is going to play, and they don't. But that, but that again, supporting yourself isn't the the altruistic nature that which they, they present. So, it's, so there needs to be a, a serious come-to-Jesus discussion with the Knight Commission, with the NCAA, with the membership schools. What are we? This is where we're at. I mean, because right, right. now what, what's happening, what we're seeing. So, um, so what are you suggesting? TV network, TV, uh, my point is the TV networks are making these decisions. These aren't being made by university administrators. So let me, let me ask you this, though. So if I'm, if I'm um, a, a college basketball player this year, and I mean, I'm not able to go home or should I be able to go home? And then we just take two weeks off or should I'd rather play a game on Christmas day than sit around wishing I was home. I, I think it'd be fun. I, I'm a 19 year old kid. I got a big 10 basketball game Christmas day. I can't go home. I can't do the normal things. I'd like, I don't mind that at all from if we're doing this for the kids, like I would, from a player standpoint, that would be my preference. NBA has done this for years, right? But NBA players are getting paid. That's right. their job. This is what not these kids' job. These kids have gone through an academic year again. Yeah. We're not taking. We're not talking about the academic factor here. These kids are in the middle of, of a pandemic, doing trying to have some semblance of normalcy with their competition, with their their sport, but they're also 
still doing classes and doing them remotely and doing without social interaction or supposedly without social interaction with, with their peers. I mean, there's a mental cost that comes to this. There's also the mental cost, and I, I, I've discussed this, I, I think, off the air with you before. Um, there's the mental cost of what are we doing to society? I mean, are, are we lulling people into a false sense of security by saying it's okay for these guys to go and play a game and and put it on TV and allow you to have this entertainment that's normal life, but, hey, you can't go out and do these things. This is just for these people. Uh, there's a psychological factor that comes along with that for society. Well, there's certainly an ethical one because the idea that, that there's daily testing for Big Ten universities and not for uh, kindergarten teachers is is ridiculous. That's exactly I've right. To, I've had to kind of come to terms with that. There are a lot of those sort of things. Like when Michigan, we're in a shutdown right now, and and you know there are high school sports have been paused where they are and and, and deep into the postseason. And I know kids are frustrated by that, um, and I understand. And restaurants are closed, and a lot of them don't think they are the cause and I understand their frustration, but the same token, when you're, you know, you're statewide at 13% positivity rate, you got to do something different. You know, people's behaviors aren't working. And, and I'm, I was a little surprised. I'll be honest when, when the governor in, in Michigan, governor Whitmer came out Sunday night, I was kind of expecting that she might go as far as, and, and she used the testing protocols as a reason that they can keep playing, but you know, we do have to change behaviors and uh, that that is not uh, but, we'll go to, but we'll go to the testing protocols when 30 pl- 30 people within maryland's football program have tested positive other than the fact that well now you know that they have it i mean correct. that's the whole point clear, like, clear, clearly true. clearly there's a disconnect there with what they're doing on, on their normal lives that's allowing that inside of their quote-unquote bubble no question. What I mean is what the testing does for you is it, it prevents the game from against Michigan State being played. And if you had it at the high school level, it would prevent the kid or the teacher or the coach or the player from engaging. Uh, and, and, and so that that's um, the fact that we don't have that at that level is is the ultimate failure of, of, of our country all, all the way from the top with this pandemic. And it's it's incredibly frustrating. So that's where we are, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Phil, well, I, d- I did have on the memo that uh, I wanted to have a maybe a larger discussion about the COVID nineteen restrictions in Michigan and if we think they would go you know bigger going forward in terms of affecting college sports and that. So I, th- I think you guys were kind of on the right track there. Well, here here's the thing. I, it, you know, Maryland was gonna even if they did play, not not allow parents in the stands. Um, same thing that happen with Whitmer's order in terms of college sports. But but again, I mean, this goes back to what you were saying, Graham, about the ethical component of this. What exactly are they doing? What you know, are we are we doing this are we doing this for these kids or are we doing this for our own entertainment value? We're doing it for us. We're totally doing it for us. Because you know, one of the things nobody gives a damn about I haven't heard anybody worry nobody was ever worried about college soccer players or volleyball players or anything. Absolutely this is totally for us. This is this is us selfish society. We enjoy it and and if you can do things safely, I don't 100% mind it. But but there are greater uh, issues to wrestle with. There, there is absolutely no question about it. Okay, before we move on to the Michigan State basketball schedule, let's give a shout-out to our sponsor, Coors Light. Hey, Spartan fans, how do you chill out each week? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to unwind in our busy lives. If your game is on, or any game for that matter, reach for Coors Light and that mountain cold refreshment. When you want to chill out, flip through the channels and crack open a cold Coors Light. Each week, the games are getting more and more important. Make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with the one that is made to chill, Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Okay, well, you guys really kind of in the last time we really hit on the kind of the most interesting aspect of the Big Ten's uh, Big Ten schedule release, and that is Michigan State will play a home game against Wisconsin on Christmas Day, and uh, so that was so that was announced early, uh, later Wednesday afternoon. But earlier in the day, the non-conference slate was announced by Michigan State, and that will include Notre Dame, Duke, and Virginia. And they will start the season less than a week from now on November 25th, which is which is next Wednesday at home against Eastern Michigan. So we're, we're really right, right around the corner here with basketball. Uh, out, out of all that, uh, what kind of what kind of sticks out for you, Chris? Well, obviously, the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that there's a non-conference schedule at all. I mean, remember that the the Big Ten, uh, due to in part due to the differing protocol 
within conferences at Division One uh, back in July eliminated all non-conference competition. And this is before they eliminated fall sports uh, in August. So I'm not really sure. And I, I reached out to the Big Ten, and I, I have not heard back from them of what's different because, you know, if you still have the differing testing protocols, um, you know, that that hasn't changed. And that, you know, you have athletes then getting tested on a daily basis, going up against athletes who are getting tested maybe two or three times a week uh, in different facets. So... I, I'm not really sure how that is changed, and I'm trying to figure that out. But um, from a strict st- schedule standpoint, obviously playing at Duke, uh, having that Champions Classic game move there um, puts Michigan State at a detriment, but they're supposedly going to get a, a game back with Duke at home at some point. Um, you know, you, you've got Notre Dame back in, in for the first time since 1975, an actual non-conference game against Notre Dame. Um, that isn't set up through the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I think that's huge. I mean, that's that's a relationship that needs to be mended regionally. Um, and the same with the Michigan State UAD uh, relationship that, you know, it, I think Izzo's one and three against them in four games, but they have not played them in 20, uh, 19, 20 years. So, um, you know, these are things that I think at least, even if they don't go through, you know, there's some headway that's made there uh, for those two things in particular uh, that I think helps Michigan State in the future. And then the Big Ten schedule itself, I mean, you know, it, they built in the bye weeks. Uh, they're, they're, they're calling them collapsible bye weeks in case of, of games getting delayed, postponed, whatever it might be. So, I mean, at least there's a plan there. And again, you know, we'll see. You know, can could I don't know about you, Graham, but does it feel like because we haven't heard anything from the Big Ten presidents on basketball? We, and I think, we haven't. And we I haven't. think that's a big thing. No, there, I agree with Chris and just about everything. I think that it, I think it's a perfect non-conference schedule, other than not going to Maui or something like that. But um, the just the idea that this is what you ought to see every year: the in-state stuff, the the the, the Detroit's, the Oakland's, the the Western Eastern. And, and then to get, like, I mean, I know they're all ACC teams, but to get Notre Dame, which should be a regional game that you play almost every year, and to get, you know, and, and occasionally if it's set up through the ACC Big Ten, it's fine. But when it's not, it ought to be played more often. Uh, to get your nemesis, which is Duke, on the schedule, however that is, and to get a game against the brother of one of your key players. I, I think, I think it, it's about as ideal a seven-game stretch for this situation as you can have in terms of interest. And what, what's interesting about what, what Chris brought up with those two relationships they're all, I mean, partly, you know, Izzo hated Perry Watson, right? Didn't like Perry Watson. But also, Detroit beat them three straight times as Izzo was trying to hang on to his job and build a program when Detroit was a mid-major power. It didn't do him good to play Detroit. He was trying to recruit Detroit, and he couldn't even beat Detroit. And, you know, and, and then Mike Bray, I mean, it's not even at this point the Digger Phelps, Heathcote stuff's long over. Mike Bray is just pretty blunt. He's like, I'm not going to play them. That's crazy even though they played twice in games set up by the ACC and Big Ten Challenge in which they've split, and losing to Michigan State is never going to hurt Notre Dame. The obscene paranoia of these coaches who, you know, now Izzo will say play anybody anywhere, anytime, and Detroit is the greatest example of where that you can push back on that and say, well, I don't know. There's a couple <laughs> other instances too, but um, and, and Notre Dame is very blunt, wins over competition. And it, I wish – Coaches would get beyond that. It just doesn't hurt you if you're Notre Dame to play Michigan State and likewise in it. And if you and Izzo's program is at a place now in where if he loses a game to Central or Western or Oakland or Detroit, it's a huge deal for them. But it ultimately doesn't take away from what they become. I mean, this is 25 years in, and he's just built so much. And I and what it does for those schools and even the fan base. If you're not able to schedule Texas in a true home and home like they had a series going on for four years there and you're forced into mostly mid-majors for t- fans at Breslin, you know, they would rather see an in-state mid-major than an out-of-state mid-major or low-major. They know those kids more. Some are fans of both schools. And uh, I even think if you can get to one of those schools, like they kind of do with Oakland, they've done with Eastern once in a while, that helps too. But, yeah, I, I love the schedule. We'll see if they actually get to play the whole thing. But it's and it, it's going to come rapidly. And I think w- one thing, Chris, and I wonder where you are on this, Given where the positivity rates are, given everything that's happening in the country, uh, if, if they get through these seven games, then that'll be a good omen for the ability to get through the Big Ten. That said, 
when you talk about positivity rates, and I don't know how they're going to do everything yet, you get one guy with it on a basketball team, that puts you over the threshold to cancel. And so I, I don't know, um, you know, I think there are going to be a lot of Big Ten basketball games canceled this year. Yeah, and we just uh, got, uh, as we're recording this, we just got notified that, that there won't be any media allowed at the Duke game. So there's there's obviously there's obviously concern that's out there. I, you know, will they will they get to play any of them? Is my big question. Um, again, you know, I, I, the silence of the Big Ten presence about this um, is is pretty out there, and they're ultimately the ones who who are going to make this decision. So, right? I mean, that's that's what we that's what we've been told, and. I, I don't know what happens next, and it's going to be a real interesting situation to kind of keep an eye on. And, you know, of course, it all is supposed to start on Wednesday. So if anything's going to happen between now and Wednesday, that'll be that'll be uh, that'll be what we wait on. You know, yeah. the work it's in perpetual limbo. I think that's probably the best way to describe life right now. Well, with the season right, right around the corner, let's talk about the Spartans a little bit. It came The media preseason poll came out earlier this week, and I think the Spartans were, were picked to finish fourth in the Big Ten. For you guys, do you feel like that seems about right, or do you, do you see the Spartans like winning their fourth consecutive regular season Big Ten title here? poll I did, I had Michigan State second, uh, Illinois won, uh, Iowa and Wisconsin down. You know, it's hard to tell right now. The thing about Michigan State is, their ceiling is tremendously high. I mean, you go one through five, you know, it's, it's, and defensively what they may be with, if Langford stays healthy and, and Watts is on the floor and, and you got Henry out there. I mean, that, that get into you is, is as good as anything they've had since Appling and, and Gary Harris. Um, but we also don't know how it's all going to come together, how rocket Watts is going to work as the point guard whether it really gels and whether they can stay healthy. And there are teams that are less talented, but have been more, have played more with the group they have. Wisconsin comes to mind. Wisconsin, a lot of people think Wisconsin's going to be really good. Wisconsin's got a lot of guys back, but they got a lot of guys back. Like, I don't know, you know, I didn't see the five-star freshman. I, I don't know what the, I think they're going to be good. I don't know if they're going to, they don't have the talent Michigan State does. Illinois might, um, you know, and they've got a lot of guys back. Iowa could be good. I think MSU's got an absolute chance. I think the great thing about this team, this team is built for a pandemic year, and this year could get taken away. It could be 15 games played, and then there's an NCAA tournament. All sorts of things could happen. But I think fans are at a place where they're intrigued by this team. Uh, there's a chance they could be great. If they're just okay, nobody's panicking. I mean, it, it would be too bad, but, you know, you got incredible classes coming down the pike. And, um, I, 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 you know, I, I think – that that helps. I think this, the program's in a pretty good place to handle this. Where it, the difference is, if you're Iowa and you've waited for a team like this, or your Dayton last year, or you know whatever it is, and, and this is your year, then there's a lot of pressure to have this go well. And and I just don't think MSU's in that place. I think that's the one thing about the the unbalanced schedule too is that it, it allows teams to sneak up on each other. And you know I don't think even a two game two game deficit with three or four games left in the conference is, is out of reach depending on the schedule, how it sets up and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, and we, again, we also don't know, and this is going to be the weird part of this. We're not going to know how many games make it within the cancellation or how many games just get postponed. How does it affect momentum? Um, if a team is, 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 playing and playing well and then they have a, a disruption and then but i do think though that the talent's there i mean you know you, you obviously have to figure out the point guard situation and then that's you know that's that's big and you know you got to figure out how healthy josh langford is and then once you get that stuff determined and and see where you're at in a competition standpoint all bets are off but i i i have them fourth too um but i think that you know w what could fourth be i mean fourth could be a first place tie this year who knows if you had to guess now, what do you guys think the starting lineup will look like against Eastern Michigan? Izzo said that Langford is starting, so I think it'll be I think it'll be Watts, Langford, Henry, Hauser, and I would guess Bingham. I, I do not know hundred uh, percent who will start there, um, at the, the opening. But I think the four guys, because I don't know if Marble or any, you know, it could go a number of ways. I, but I think the four guys are are pretty certain, and and. Uh, just because you're not going to, I mean, he said Langford, you're not going to not start Henry or or Watts. He's already sort of set up 
Gabe Brown to be the, the sixth man. He's starting to pump the Morris Peterson stuff. That's going to be that. Hauser is clearly going to start. So I think four are pretty obvious. Boy, I mean, I, I think you start Watts at the point. I think that, you know, Langford, even even if he doesn't can only play 10, 15 minutes, I think, you know, you start him and then maybe try and finish him just from an emotional standpoint. I think Henry runs the three. I think Hauser at the four. And, you know, to me, it's going to be interesting at the five, like like we were talking about, because it is kind of a crapshoot. I'd probably say Kithier just because he's a safe option, because he does the little things, because he's he's positionally sound and defensively sound. But I think that's going to be, you know, what the four was last year uh, is an ever-evolving starting spot. I think that's what the five is going to be this year. I'm actually with you, Chris, on the five. I think it'll be Kithier as opposed to being a marble, but who knows? Well, I guess we'll see. The one thing about Bingham is when he started, he was more engaged and he played well uh, sometimes. I, but again, this is a year later. I think the five is is a huge question this year, and and, and uh, I have no idea. Yeah, and Bingham, I think we saw from the photos, has put on put on some weight. So that is uh, a welcome sight for Michigan State and its basketball fans. Yeah, but how do you use that weight? That's going to be the big thing, you know. But I do one thing. I do think though, Graham, is if they have Bingham. Um, that all of a sudden, if he's the guy, you know, you got now you got five guys who can shoot it outside. That's that that changes the dynamic maybe a little bit. Okay, well, let's move on to the NBA draft where we saw on Wednesday night both Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston were selected, both in the second round. Tillman went 35th to the Grizzlies, or Memphis Grizzlies, which was originally a Sacramento pick, and Winston went 53rd to the Washington Wizards, which was originally a Oklahoma City pick. What do you guys think of their destinations, and do you, do you see them both being good fits? I should note that Tillman is joining uh, former Michigan State standout Jaron Jackson in Memphis. Yeah, I, I think you know they're, they're, they're both getting opportunity. They're both good fits. There are two uh, point guards in Washington under contract, Ish Smith, who played for the Pistons, and John Wall. And that uh, – so, you know, Cassius will have a chance to earn that third job. Um, and, uh, you know – it'll be interesting who he can defend. He'll probably be on a two way contract given where he was drafted. So he'll, you know, he might be up and down and, and who he can stay in front of and can he do it enough that his offense, you know, the value that I think he can definitely bring an offense becomes clear. And, and Tillman, I think is built for the league. He goes to a place where you have a great power forward center combination, including Jaron Jackson, that he'll be able to potentially back up both. I think defend multiple positions. And, and I think they've got, 11 players under contract where he was drafted suggests he'll get like a three year, four and a half million dollar contract. Uh, and, um, I think, uh, I think he's in a spot where he may be a young ascending team. That That's a really good spot in Memphis for him. Jaron Jackson was his best man in this wedding. So, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And I think that, you know, the, the interesting thing is going to be how these two respond because they're, they're, uh, they're two guys who have been, in some ways, afterthoughts uh, throughout their career, um, even though they became star, they weren't the guys that you looked at in in the the high school rankings and said these guys are definitely going to be pros. They weren't guys that you, you thought maybe they'd be contributors in college, but not necessarily blossoming like they did. So I think that they've got to be able to maintain that at the next level, and you know as much I think as they showed in college. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see now when they don't have to play 30, 40 minutes a game. Okay, well, let's transition back to football here. Uh, we want to talk about the QB controversy between Rocky Lombardi and Peyton Thorne. As, as we all know, Rocky Lombardi got benched after throwing his second interception of the game Saturday against Indiana, and in came Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne's first run, or first play, was a 38-yard run. Uh, we didn't know if that was a foretelling of future things to come or an aberration, and in that game it was an aberration, but now... You know, if I were, I had to guess that Mel Tucker and company will probably go back and forth between those two the rest of the year, or do you think that they will eventually settle on one? Graham? Yeah, that's, it's a really good question because I don't think, you know, either one is – I mean, well, it makes sense at a certain point you go with a younger guy because I think what you have to do this year is you have to figure out if you have your quarterback. I do not think we've seen the last of Rocky Lombardi, and I'm not sure that you have to write off Lombardi entirely except those – you know, he is he's had some time in the program and, and – now, I don't know if he's 100% healthy, but he, he did made some really poor decisions, and and um, he's had you know he's had two really miserable games in a row. And yeah, the week off certainly from a mental standpoint will help probably calm some of those 
anxieties and jitters that, that Lombardi has kind of shown the past couple weeks after beating Michigan and, you know, especially in the decision-making process, you know, somewhat going to Iowa and doing too much and, you know, just making throw. I mean, both of his interceptions against Indiana were first plays and both of them were throwing at the double coverage, which, you know, can't happen. I mean, that's you know, underthrown at double coverage, you know, whether he's physically hurt or whether it's a mental thing or a combination of both is, is interesting. I, I'm not, I'm not putting a, a terrible amount of assessment into Peyton Thorne's first game. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, you can sit back and remember the time that Connor Cook was running around in circles during a Michigan State spring game um, and never would have saw that and thought that he would be a starting quarterback. I mean, he it was an end of game play, and he was, you know, there there was there was, uh, you know, there were points where even in his early part uh, of getting the starting job, where you just saw the bumps along the way. Uh, and, and again, this is a kid who hasn't played this Peyton Thorne. He hasn't played in a spring game. He hasn't had spring practice. He had one spring practice. No, I, I take that back. He hasn't had any spring practice. He just had all one last fall. Um, on the scout team, so he he's still kind of finding his way at that level, and you know even even Theo Day. I mean, you know the Theo Day situation. We've talked about it before. I mean, you know, the the guy has looked like he checked out. I mean, when you see it on the sideline, and the team is going through the huddles, and he's back on the on on the the bench. I mean, it's 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 it, you know it, it's pretty clear that that. You know, if, if he's not going to get a chance, that that something they're they're going to need to bring in a guy or two. I mean, they got Hamp Fay coming in next year. Um, Noah Kim they brought in last year, and you know, I know that he you know Tucker keeps getting asked about and brings him up. But I mean, realistically, right now, I, I think that the two guys that you need to determine, you know, are, are we going short term with Lombardi for the next couple of years, or are we going long term with Thorne, um, or it, or like you said. Do you dip into the portal um, and get a veteran guy? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, and in part because we don't know how Mel Tucker wants to operate with this. You know, I mean, some coaches, there are certain positions where they won't go into a transfer situation. You know, they, they don't want to bring in a quarterback unless it's the absolute right fit. I think D'Antonio kind of fell in that realm. Um, you know, there were options and times where he had grad transfers or or other transfers that look like they could step in and other than keith nickel who ended up a wide receiver i'm not really sure that that i can think of many or any that that happened so you know we kind of watch we got to watch it and understand where the coaching staff's coming from to some of these decisions as well all right well thank you guys for joining us uh do you guys have any final words for we before we stop here these you know we'll, we'll talk to you before thanksgiving but be safe this weekend and you know and, and, and enjoy the weekend without the angst of your your football team. Yeah, next week we'll we'll get hopefully get back into football and talk about Northwestern, uh, which is the not this Saturday but the following Saturday, which would be uh, according to my calendar November twenty eighth, right after Thanksgiving, and then obviously right before Thanksgiving the the basketball game. So and a lot to process and digest. They'll play North. They'll play Notre Dame that night. That's going to be a weird doubleheader. We don't have times on that stuff either yet. So that'll be interesting. Yes, All sir. Right. I want you to get bold pick. Who starts against Northwestern? Lombardi or Thorne? Boy, I I I'm saying Thorne. Yeah, I th- I, I would guess Thorne, but I, I don't know. That also, by the way, was Brian Lewerke's first start. Interesting. Northwestern. All right. In the second half of the show, I'll be joined by Nate Atkins, where we will talk about the aforementioned Thorne Lombardi QB situation, uh, talk about Thorne's performance on Saturday, discuss potential QB targets in the transfer portal, and make our Big Ten picks. Thanks, guys. All right. Since we didn't talk enough about Michigan State's quarterback situation in the last segment, we had to bring in we had to bring in our own expert, LSJ sports writer Nate Atkins. Nate, how you doing today, buddy? Ooh, that's a high bar you're giving to me, especially in a week where we don't even have a game to break down. So <laughs> uh, try to ask for some pixie dust here. Well, we have a game to break down, but we're going to sort of do that. But as part of a bigger discussion into just Michigan State's quarterback situation in general. Yeah, no, we have last weekend's game and um, some people are trying to block it out of their minds. 24 uh, nothing lost Indiana. Yeah, no, it's well. We just heard today that you know the the game against Maryland is off, so it kind of gives them a 
a bye week that you were not supposed to have in this nine game season. So this yeah. is kind of a decent time for us to reset um, us personally too. I might go on some, I don't know, nature walks or something on Saturday. <laughs> anything to get out of, you know, thinking about kind of what the heck is going on with this offense. Um, and I, I suggest the fans do that too. It's kind of nice to have a bye week, especially when things are not going so well. Oh, well, let's yeah, let's just jump right into it here. Uh, I mean, overall, what did you think of Peyton Thorne's performance after he stepped in for Rocky after he, after Lombardi threw a second interception of the game? Yeah, no, this is a good time. One thing I was going to say is because it's the bye week, it's just a natural time for everyone to take a bigger picture view. It's what coaches are going to do, what they call self-scouting, where they're going to really dive into this. And this is the decision they have to figure out because, I mean, it's not much else is going to work right now until they get the quarterback position going. And so you could see when they brought Thorne in, I mean, he's very clearly under this uh, direction of do not turn the ball over, Um, just – you know, and that that kind of plays to some of his strengths as far as his mobility and his ability to extend plays. And there are things he can do beyond just throw the ball into coverage when it's not all there. Uh, but at the same time, I think it kind of neuters some of what he was trying to do. So it was a very up and down day, as you'd expect. Redshirt freshman who goes 10 of 20 uh, doesn't score. You know, it's not like he lit it up. But the offense did move smoother. I thought. The read option worked for him a lot better than it did for Rocky Lombardi. It just looks natural ever since that first play when he tucked it and ran all the way down the field. Um, so because of his skill set, though, right now, it looks like he's going to work a lot better out of structure, whereas he's going to, you know, when he extends a play, he's still looking down the field. He does not look panicked at all in those moments, and that's going to kind of save them from when things are not you know, developing right away, either a blitz comes through or receivers not open. Same time though. I just think the, uh, when you're telling a young kid like that, just do not, do not, do not turn the ball over. And he doesn't have this developed arm or this developed chemistry with people that are not Jaden Reed. They're just a lot of shots that he's not going to take right now. And I think that's a big reason they didn't score. Yeah. And also the fact that his best play of the game was also his first play of the game which he kept it on a read option and went 38 yards. Uh, that seemed promising, but that was probably the highlight of the day for him. But he, he on that play, he did show that he does have more mobility than than Rocky does and doesn't limit maybe what the Spartans want to do in their in their zone read or read option game. Yeah, and that's something like we keep talking on this podcast. They need to work the quarterback run game. We're, I, I think we're now seeing that Rocky Lombardi just kind of struggles with you know, he can run on his own when he's throwing the ball, but as far as running that rate option game, it just was not natural for him and it's not natural for the backs. So Peyton Thorne's at least moving that along a little bit. It still wasn't gorgeous when the backs would take it, you know, when he when he'd read the end sitting there and you pretty much have a defender blocking himself. But even getting three or four yards up the middle is a lot better than what they've had, which has been, you know, tackle for loss when a guy doesn't read the guards and tries to run outside or a fumble like Anthony Williams had on the exchange with Rocky Lombardi. So look, it's baby steps right now. If you can, you know, if you can play in a way that, you know, Jordan Simmons or or Connor Hayward, if they're taking the ball on those and, you know, and they're getting three or four yards where they were going to get one, you know, it just makes the, the passing game more manageable because we saw with Thorne too, when he gets in situations third and seven plus where, you know, he's throwing, I mean, for him, it's just a scouting report read. There was one play where they had they had like a third and it was a third and long was I think it was first third and long in the game, and it was a quarterback draw read, and it was like Indiana just knew that was coming. They just set everyone in zone, and they said just just wait for him to run, and he did, and he gained a couple yards, and it was time to punt. So, you know, the best that they can do right now is to get in spots where if you're in third and four, and it opens up the possibility of that quarterback run. Or you know some some shorter routes and the rub routes with Jaden Reed. That's something that it seems Thorne can bring a little better than Rocky. That's when they'll have a better shot. But I mean, at the end of the day, you you only give yourself a shot by having the ball and not turning it over. And so anybody who's going to kind of play safer in that element is is going to play into their hands a little better than what they've had. Yeah, and the run game, especially on third and short and fourth and short, continues to be a mess. It actually might be worse than last year somehow 
and I don't know if that's a product of the quarterbacks or the running backs or the offensive line. Maybe it's a combination of all of them. The the run game seemed to work best when it was Connor Hayward in the game, which he which he didn't really get his carries until the very end of the game. You know, Jordan Simmons started the game. Anthony Williams came in for that one for that lone play, which he fumbled, and then uh, announced earlier this week he was entering the transfer portal. So that appears to be his last action as a Michigan State football player. So, I mean, they do have a lot of backs. I mean, they have Audric Estime coming in next year. He is a four-star guy from New Jersey who's averaging 10 yards a carry at the at a school that is a prominent football school and plays heavy competition. So, you know, if he gets in, I mean, boy, you, you say him and Jordan Simmons next year. And, boy, I mean, that's still so young. And even, even Simmons has still just shown a few flashes here and there. He's not, you know, Maurice Claret for your Ohio State Buckeyes, you know, way back. Uh, in 2002 or whatever but yeah but, but I, I mentioned all this stuff because you got to have the running game going to get the quarterbacks going in the pass game whether it's Peyton Thorne or Rocky Lombardi and and like you were kind of basically alluded to I just think it starts right there and getting the run established to, to open up the pass yeah and as far as why their short yardage game is not working I mean it, it is all of those I think it's it's backs who struggle to read you know they got a new I think last year was easier to read a lot of power blocks and just follow one guy and get to certain spots. And, you know, right now they're having to read these guards as they're working double teams and then deciding when to split from a double team to have one of those two linemen peel up to the second level and go after linebackers. And you've got to kind of read those guys and run off their hips. It's, it's been obvious to me that Anthony Williams has struggled with that. Um, I think I would think they all kind of have. Um, Connor Hayward's not really built for the quick burst anyway. And Jordan Simmons is just so new to it. But, you know, there's this is where it's just going to help get it along a little bit. I've, I've always been about, you know, I think there's a reason why quarterback mobility in the NFL has become almost a prerequisite. Um, a lot of it's about extending plays to, to find passing opportunities. But I think it also really helps uh, your backs out when you're basically, you've got a line that's not dominant. And that's working this new scheme. Now you're going to introduce guys like defensive ends who are going to be blocked by the play design. Now, you know, a defensive end has to stand there to force the quarterback to hand the ball off. You know, all of a sudden he's not a factor in, you know, where the running backs going. It just opens up some more space, especially near the goal line, especially short yardage. Um, I just don't think their play calls have been very good when they've gone to like third and fourth and short, they don't seem to introduce that quarterback run element at all. And they're just trying to win, you know, basically zone blocking with guys who aren't experienced with it against a defense that knows it's coming. That just is not going to work. So the best they can do, I think, is really work the quarterback run options in those elements. And then you just got to let it build. Eventually, over time with repetition, guys like Jordan Simmons will read the blocks better. You know, it does look like he has, he has burst and, and talent and he can – kind of get a little bit of wiggle and um it'll develop over time but like we've said it's it's a tough spot to be in with a with a true freshman in 2020 this is where elijah collins not delivering is really becoming a problem for them because if you had that in this offense if you had something you could lean on like that to not put it all in the quarterback it'd be a lot better all right maybe we got got sidetracked a little too much with the run game and i will take the to blame for that let's go back to to peyton here you wrote about in the film room review this past week about thorn and i believe you mentioned one particular play where Jaden naylor was wide open down the sideline and and peyton just missed him you kind of want to break down that play a little bit and what he kind of needs to do better in terms of reading defenses yeah so that was what i was kind of talking about where he's better out of structure than in structure now when he's scrambling out and creating new lanes that are not the, you know, where the defense is supposed to be. He threw to Jaden Reed down the field, and it was a 21-yard gain. But on that play in particular, yeah, they, it, was, it was like a third and third and eight, and they called for a fade route. And the only read is is Jalen Naylor running a fade route, and he's really good at it. He gets a cover two, and he's open, but you know he's open in that turkey hole area between the cornerback and the safety. Hey, he's kind of got to drop he's it. Gotta, he's got to drop it in the bucket there. You got to drop it in there, and you've got to, you know, part of that's having the arm strength and the zip to do it, but also the confidence in that arm. And I just, I noticed there was a spot where Thorne had that lane open, but he just looked like he didn't, he, he wasn't confident either in the connection or in his own arm strength. So he just tries to scramble out. Well, it's again, Indiana's waiting for you to do that. They know that's your skill set. So, especially against cover two, when you have a guy in zone, a cornerback who's got eyes on the quarterback. 
he's just going to take that away unless you're Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, which, you know, <laughs> Thorne is a good runner. He's not Kyler Murray runner, though. So that's just something they've got to, you know, and that's the hard part because he knows that is a turnover possible play. When you're trying to throw into that spot, if you miss, safety's going to pick it off or the corner's going to pick it off. But you you have to be able to run those plays still, or otherwise Jalen Naylor's not going to have a role in this offense because he is he is a down-the-field burner, and you either take some shots with that or you're just not going to really take advantage of him. Yeah, and you compare that play to Michael Penix on that one touchdown pass to Freifogel where – uh, he threw it to his back shoulder. There was a small window there. I mean, Shaka Brown did stumble, but that window was still pretty small. He threw it to Freifogel's back shoulder and, you know, in a low a low pass, too, and put it in the perfect spot where Brown could not get to it. And then Brown misses the tackle, and then Freifogel's off for like a 70-plus yard touchdown run or whatever it was. Yeah, and that's, you know, Penix had reps last year to help build that yeah. with Freifogel. That's some... You know, I noticed that with Thorne, especially when he was thrown to Ricky White. I mean, that, that connection seems as non-existent as it gets. He had a fade route where he was trying to throw kind of a back shoulder. Either either it was a read to, to come back or it was just a back shoulder attempt, and it was just nowhere near the mark. And, and Thorne kind of gave this look to, rock, to Ricky White like, you know, you're supposed to adjust to that ball. They just haven't played it all together. Yeah. They're, it's a freshman and a redshirt freshman – who aren't used to those kind of um, those kind of communications within a route? So, look, it's they're going through it right now. This is right. I think we talked about at one point this Michigan State team. The problem that they have to me is the number one problem is you don't have a quarterback that makes it hard to compete with anybody good like Indiana. Number two, though, is that their offensive and defensive lines are not stout, and then everywhere else is young. So there's just nowhere to kind of help boost the young players up. There's not that quarterback who gets everyone into the right positions, and there's not that, you know, that offensive line that just creates space and rhythm. It's it's these young players who are trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat, and that's that's a rough way to go. And but that's how they're going to have to try and develop this season is just um, stick with one of these guys and go. I'm curious. I mean, do you think? If we if we're talking about if if Rock if Peyton Thorne does not have either the confidence or the arm to work downfield to Jalen Naylor and that's obviously how they've built a lot of this offense. I mean, how you know how confident are you, Phil, that you they can stick with Peyton Thorne if he's just going to become more of a running quarterback who just kind of works some scramble routes to Jaden Reed? I don't know. Well, you mentioned the you know going deep is one of Michigan State's offenses' main. The goals, but we've only we only saw that in one game. We only saw that in the Michigan game. They did not really do it in the other games, and they only what was it the uh, the Iowa game? Uh, they only went they only went deep twice after going deep thirteen times against Michigan. I think maybe they just need to try and develop that confidence again with doing that, whether it's Lombardi or whether it's it's Peyton Thorne. But uh, I, I honestly don't know who's going to start the Northwestern game next week i don't know if i don't know if they'll go back to lombardi just because he's a he's a senior and, and whatnot or if it's going to be paint thorn show from here on out i mean i i think it's just going to be a rot i think they're just going to rotate throughout the rest of the year it could just be a you know a steve <laughs> something like steve spurrier always used to do at florida when when danny werfel wasn't his quarterback or connor shaw at south carolina where he would just he wasn't afraid to pull quarterbacks and rotate them back and forth based on how hot or how cold they were because obviously i i don't know if peyton's arm strength is, is peyton thorne's arm strength is there yet what what do you think of his arm strength yeah no i don't i tracked every throw he made in that game and the furthest i could find i think it went 28 yards in the air and that's kind of when he had a running start to the you know when he was out scrambling it's just not a natural you know out throw you know, Jalen Naylor running past the safety type arm strength. And it's just not, you know, and then you add in the connection problems that, that aren't there for a guy that's, that's barely ever worked with obviously basically not at all with Ricky white. So the thing that I think the decision for this coaching staff right now is, are you more concerned with building your scheme or your culture? And I say that because I, I really do believe that Rocky won this job because he can really get the ball down the field. I know it didn't always develop in all the other but the, games. But, but, the problem, but, the, but the problem with that, of course, was while he did have success with Michigan, he's also turning the ball over a ton. I mean, that last interception versus Indiana was like one of the worst throws I've ever seen in my four years here 
uh, watching Michigan State football games. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at it with culture is that you know you can keep trying to build that scheme and try and force it with Rocky and hope it gets better, but if you're Mel Tucker, I don't know how you can preach it's all about the ball, the ball, the ball, and then not bench the one player who keeps giving the ball away. Right. I mean, you're you're not doing that at running back. When Anthony Williams fumbles, he's out of the game. I mean, and he, he's not back in the game. So you don't want to have <laughs> nor, a nor back on the Michigan State football team. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to have a double standard where you say, oh, well, with the quarterback, it doesn't matter that much. But everyone else has got to got to protect the ball. So to me, I think you have to – I think they're going to try Peyton Thorne and they're going to try and see, you know, attempt these throws and see if that goes better, see if that happens without some of the downfield throws without turning it over. If he starts to turn it over, then I think it's just totally fair game again because then they're kind of both in the same situation. But I definitely think it's fluid because um, – they they wanted Rocky to work this year. Yeah, he's their prototype. He's their size. He's got their he's got some of the the thickness to him. He can throw it down the field, and they love his leadership intangibles. But it, it just not, nothing else you do is going to matter if you turn the ball over that much. And it's been so consistent that it is something they have to address. Any chance we see Theo Day or Noah Kim at any point this season? The other two quarterbacks you know, on the it's roster. Tough because I've just never seen those guys <laughs> for Michigan State. Um, so I can't totally say what they bring. I don't. I don't see how you can play a redshirt freshman quarterback in 2020 and think that's going to go anything but awful. Well, that's what Peyton Thorne is. Is that what you're talking about? I no, true freshman. Oh, okay. You said redshirt yeah. freshman. So yeah, yeah, true freshman Noah Kim. Redshirt freshman. There's at least you know, it's kind of my big thing that Phil and I have gone back and forth on. I don't believe in redshirt or in true freshman quarterbacks, and so. I think a lot of coaches are scared of him, so I just don't think Noah Kim's going to be an option. It's hard to say on Theo Day, um, but yeah, I mean, if they're if if both quarterbacks just can't get it done, at some point you are like, well, what do we hurt in trying some of these other guys and seeing yeah. if it works better? I mean, it you can't be losing. What was it is twenty four nothing and in forty nine to seven? I mean, you're the gap is huge. Yep. Yep. So. What I want, so who do you, so I take it you think Thorne is going to start versus Northwestern? Yeah, I think they'll come out and they'll try and tailor a game plan to what he can do. I, you know, I think you have to throw out a lot of your scheme elements right now, build them next year when you have spring practices, they hope, in a spring game and an on conference schedule. Um, you know, and, and, and just keep in there what you can with your scheme, but yeah, I think he'll get the start. But like I said, I don't think it's well, Thorne's a quarterback the rest of the way. If he, if he can't make any of those throws and if he starts turning the ball over, they could go right back to Rocky. Well, jumping off what you said there, let's let's talk transfer portal. I think we both believe there's a pretty good chance that Michigan State will look at a quarterback in the transfer portal and take one in if they really don't like what they've got on the roster. Or, boy, I, I seriously don't think they would think Hampton Fay would be ready to jump into the starter's role in the 2021 season, but uh, there are some intriguing targets here. There's a number of four-star guys who are, or excuse me, who are four-star recruits in high school who have left their teams, including Tennessee's Kasim Hill. Uh, Mississippi State has seen two four-star quarterbacks leave their program in Garrett Schrader and Jalen Maiden, and you got James Foster from Texas A&M, James Graham from Georgia Tech. Those are those are all the four-star guys, and then a handful of three-star guys from there. But Nate, you told me off-air that you have one particular quarterback that you really like and that you think that makes a great fit for Michigan State. Who is who is that masked man? Ooh, I do. It was one of the three you just named. Oh, okay. Do you have a guess? Um, I am going to – because I don't know if – I don't know who these guys of this group who Michigan State did and did not recruit, but I am going to guess Garrett Schrader. No, it's actually Jalen Maiden, the okay. other Mississippi State guy. Ah. Uh, Jalen Maiden, if you look at him – so he he transferred like both Mississippi State guys are transferring because KJ Costello transferred in and they don't see playing time. Um, but you go back and Jalen Maiden in his background, he's a dual threat quarterback, six two two fifteen from Texas. That's a lot of the prototype that you're going to see Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson go after. They're going to love these Texas quarterbacks, and I know they do because they recruited him at Georgia. I mean, he had a Georgia offer. Uh, when Jay Johnson was was there and Mel Tucker was there, you know, and then he ended up committing to Mississippi State. He's a four star guy, so it's you know he's they're not going to be the only team after him. But um, but I think they can market some of their receivers for this. Uh, he could he can move around 
like they like, but he's still a guy who can get the ball down the field and, you know, and he's played enough, you know, what they like about Texas quarterbacks is that you already come in with a base level of, of kind of a competitive floor of having faced high level competition. That's Hampton Fay is out of the Dallas area. And I agree with you. I don't think, you know, they'll start Hampton Fay as a true freshman if nothing, nothing else is happening, but I don't think that's the path they want to go down right now. They want to red shirt him and, and develop his body a little bit better. And um, so Jalen Maiden, a guy who, who, you know, was in the class of 2018. Um, that's a guy who has built his body up a little bit more than, than your uh, true freshman quarterback. And I think that's a guy that they could bring in. And, um, you know, even if you get a year out of and, and he's pretty good and then you want to look at Hampton Fay, or maybe it's longer than that, you know, that start get, starts to get everything rolling that they want with, cause I think they really want to recruit wide receivers and they want to win, on the outsides and be explosive that way. The only way to do it is to find a strong-armed quarterback, and I think this is a good option for them. All right, you heard it here first. Nate Atkins says Jalen Maiden will be Michigan State's quarterback in 2021. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay, that's where we're going. Huh? That, that's the that's the splash headline. Yeah. No, no, uh-huh. ta- no takebacks at all. I do think they should try for him, and I bet they will. Um, I'm curious to see though what that market looks like it's weird because there's so many of these guys so on its face i'd say he probably has a better fit to step right in and play yeah but then again you don't know because sometimes guys transfer we're seeing it at georgia um you transfer to a place and you don't win the job you know that (laughs) and Uh, then you're trying to transfer again kasim hill has had the same thing happen so yeah you look at this if you look at the big 10 look at northwestern with uh, hunter johnson he was a five-star guy out of Indiana, who committed to Clemson, never got the job there. Transferred Northwestern, started a little bit last year, then lost, then lost out this year to to Peyton Ramsey. Yeah, so you know, in some ways, it it is appealing to think, well, like if I'm Mel Tucker, I'm telling him, what else do we have to play right now? I mean, you're our guy now. Hampton Fay, you know, they're excited for Hampton Fay, but it's not like Trevor Lawrence coming in behind Kelly Bryant, where you know it's just a matter of time until he steals your job. I mean, if you get a transfer quarterback who comes in and he's playing really well. Um, I think they'll stick with it. You know, they'll. This is a long-term plan for them to keep going after this kind of model, though. The 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 Texas quarterback or the guy who comes from the competitive recruiting markets and um, and fits the size that they want. Yeah, sure. All right. Anything else before we move on to our picks this week? Nope, we're good to go. All right. Well, I'll let you I'll let you brag a little bit. Here. <laughs> well, last week Nate went four and two. I went five and one, so that puts us even on the season at seventeen and eight. I still don't think that's the greatest. It's not the greatest win percentage for either of us in our in, in this world. But I think uh, we're one in three picking Michigan State, so that one yeah. has brought it down. That we both got on the right side for once with that. Yeah, and then uh, the, the the gain I gained on you last week was Nebraska Penn State. I said I didn't like where Penn State was headed, uh, and I thought Nebraska would put pulled off and. You still liked the Nittany Lions, and of course, Nebraska won the game barely after a, a huge comeback by the Nittany Lions fell just short. Jeez, I'm I'm giving up on Penn State. That was the last straw. All right, well we'll see we'll see how you feel when we get to the Penn State Iowa game this week. So, uh, as always, we do these in chronological order from earliest to latest start time. And so we will start with Purdue at Minnesota, Nate. Yeah, I gotta go Purdue. I mean, Minnesota is is still just terrible. They they can't play any defense. Um, their offensive line is a mess. And Purdue, uh, you know, Purdue is the worst team against Northwestern, but I still think they've got enough on both sides of the ball to beat bad teams. And Minnesota's a bad team. All right, Indiana at Ohio State. This week's game. You gotta of the, make this your week's, pick. Oh yeah, sorry. I like Purdue as well. All right, this week's game of the century. Indiana. I was just so excited about this game. Uh, Indiana at Ohio but, State. Yeah, this is, this is a fun moment for Indiana to finally be in a top ten battle. That is shocking, but um, I kind of see Indiana as like the like a lesser version of Ohio State. They've got the explosive quarterback and wide receivers, and they pretty much just play to that all day long. But um, just kind of average guys on defense. Ohio State's just a better version of it. But also, they've had a week and a half to prepare for this since they didn't play against Maryland, and they seem pissed off that they didn't play against Maryland, and so. I don't think this is a good spot for Indiana. I think Ohio State's going to win this by, you know, 17 to 20 or something like that. I, I don't think at any point in the season was this a good spot for Indiana. Ohio State's just too talented. I think the Buckeyes, Buckeyes roll here. Illinois at Nebraska. 
Oh, what a showdown. Yeah, Illinois uh, Illinois with the big win last week over Rutgers. Nebraska, like yeah. we said, coming off the win over Penn State. They both got their wins in. Uh, well, ne- Nebraska just switched to uh, McCaffrey at quarterback, and uh, that looks like it's going to you know, give them a little bit of life. Nebraska, you know, they're – I think they're so thrilled to finally get a win, even if Penn State's down. I mean, that's just one of those that felt like you, you saw the way they reacted to finally closing that one out um, with the weirdness. They've had a game canceled. So I think they're going to ride that momentum enough to beat an Illinois team that, you know, they may have beaten Rutgers in overtime, but let's not kid ourselves. Illinois is less talented than Nebraska, and so I think Huskers take it. Yeah, was uh, I like Nebraska as well. I'm going to keep riding, riding that Husker wave until the very end. Uh, mm-hmm. th- this week's game of the century in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin at Northwestern. You know, we could do a segment on whether the Big Ten West is better than the East for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, I like both of these teams a lot, actually. Um, I, I think Northwestern, now that they've got Peyton Ramsey, has the right formula to win lower-scoring games with a ball control, but Wisconsin's got the better quarterback. I mean, Graham Mertz is just kind of on a different level, and I think they really got a lot of their – their base um, run game and, and run game down, and their defense looks incredible. So uh, tight game here, but I think the Badgers pull it out. Yep, I'm with you on the Badgers. Iowa at Penn State. Yeah, I got to go Iowa. Talk about another team that's just clicked. You know, they were, it's interesting to compare their 0-2 start to Penn State's 0-2 start and the Michigan's start. Iowa could have folded in too, but they have had the opposite effect, and they yep. seem like they've got their offense completely rolling right now, and Penn State's in shambles, so give me the Hawkeyes. Yep, I'm a, for all the reasons you said, I like the Hawkeyes as well. Last game, Michigan at Rutgers. I like how the spread for this is, I think I saw it was like eight and a half points, which yeah. is just unbelievable because that's how much Rutgers was favored against Illinois last week. Right. Um, lowest point ever for the Michigan football program. <laughs> I got to think they pull this out. Like the, the talent gap in this game is just so extreme. Rutgers did beat Michigan state who beat Michigan though. So if Michigan is, we're going to really know in a heart, in a heartbeat here, whether they've packed in the whole season, because if they lose this, it's, a, I don't know how they win anything else. So I'll go with the Wolverines. Yeah. We'll see if the transit of property is a, is a thing here or not. I picked Michigan as well, but again, the two and I think Michigan and Michigan State are the two teams that have just burned us the most in our Big Ten picks this year. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is another one where if, if they lose this game, they're dead to me, and I'm never picking them again because <laughs> my whole record will be tied up in the fact that I picked Michigan, Michigan State to win some games. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Nate Atkins underscore, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Did I get enough uh, Twitter handles in there? Hey, you might want to... Well, I want to go through them one more time. <laughs> I will spare the listeners on that part. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.